It is the roundtable on Dog Post. Dean Luggy joined by college basketball reporter for the Louisville Courier Journal, Fletcher Page. Fletcher, I've been told that there's no hyphen with the, uh, the paper. Is that correct? We took it out. We got a new brand. Did you did you see the lawsuit about the um, Did you see the lawsuit about the Oxford comma? <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna let you read that. It's it, it's another story. For that's sort of writer uh, jargon inside baseball. There, I'm not too keen on grammar. It's not really my biggest thing. Clearly. Uh, all right. So Georgia wraps up number one class in the country uh, for the 2018 class. Uh, really, just an exceptional job by Kirby and company. Uh, don't look now, but they've got the number one class in 19. It, 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 I don't know, Fletcher, if it's possible for this class to be better, but. Um, than the 18 class, but they're going to take a shot at it. And right now they have, it looks to me like just from my math that they've got a pretty good shot of getting four of the top 10, 10 top uh, 10 players in the country to commit to them. Um, and that's, and that's really saying something. I mean, you already got Jaden Hazelwood. You've got Nolan uh, Smith, who's already committed to him. Um, and then uh, Don Blaylock is number 10. Uh, and then Owen Popo is sitting there from Grayson at number seven in the country. Um, that's pretty good. That's that's their base, basically. Now, Popo is not committed to them, but Matt DeBerry would tell you that uh, George is in very good shape there. Overall thoughts of signing day that you watched, 2018, and then kind of where George is going from here. No, I'm going to put it back on you. I mean, obviously, uh, we've heard that George has uh, been a sleeping giant for quite some time, and, and I think that there was always a – you know, Mark Rick's recruiting class has always had uh, really strong tops, but I certainly think they had weak middle and, and bottoms, um, comparatively speaking. So while Georgia was usually in the top ten in the country, they were near the bottom of the top five in the SEC in recruiting. That's been well established on this podcast and in conversations between you and me. So I was going to ask, I imagine what Tennessee and Florida and Auburn and Alabama fans might might give as the reason why Georgia is recruiting so well under Kirby. But why, why don't you take me macro first. At a macro 30,000 feet above the ground level, why is Georgia signing this many five-star and top 100 recruits in one class? The What we are hearing for next week, unless the world ends, is going to focus more on the discussion you and I are about to have right now. Um, but I can only fit so much into what we're hearing, and then this week's is going to focus on Mark Fox, which you and I can, can talk about in the near future here on this podcast. The basics of it all is that you know people are always going to allege that something improper is happening at any school, Georgia, Mississippi, Oklahoma, South Carolina. You know, that, that group that I just named, they're all in the top 10 of the rankings as of this second. Um, what I would say to you is that's kind of a ridiculous discussion uh, because none of these teams ever get caught cheating, so supposedly cheating. Well, uh, they, we're, we're, we're ready for all comers. Anybody wants to provide proof be, of, of such? You know, yeah, I mean, look, give me the... I mean, that's why. That's why I asked you. Okay, we're we're gonna just gonna skip that part since nobody can yeah. say anything. Well, on the I record. feel like I feel like you have to At least address it. it because yeah, because people are always gonna say, "Oh, George is cheating," 
um, okay, uh, I don't even know what that means, but then that's fine. You want to have that discussion. I personally don't have any issues, um, any moral issues with anybody. If any recruit wanted to accept payment to go to a university, I have no problem with them creating their own market value and, well, they, and they, being able to cash in on their abilities since they can't do it above board according to NCAA rules. I, I don't have a moral issue with that. That's what I'm saying. It's, it's certainly not against the law. They're uh, right. All you have to do is pay taxes, but let's just get back to the point here. Um, I'm not condoning it. I'm just saying, right. hey, look, you know, if you want to, I'm just tired of the discussion of it because I think it's, re- well, it's I a have ridiculous. Well, I, I have a professional obligation that if, if an NCAA violation is in question or perhaps has been broken, uh, according uh, involving an athlete on the team that I cover, I would professionally have to look into it. Um, I can. I personally don't try to hide the fact that I'm a human, uh, so I do have a personal belief that I have no personal problem with anybody making a, um, a cash transaction in these instances. But professionally, I am obligated to look into these things. That's. I want to get that out there as well. Okay. Let me. So, let me okay. Can, so, we, can I, we skip this then? So thirty thousand feet above the ground. So so we are going to skip that. Yeah, forget because it. Because at, at, at the end of the day, you know, um, talk is cheap. If you got something to say, you know, say it. I mean, I'm not challenging people here. I'm just I saying. I enjoy talking about that kind of stuff with people when they actually have it. It's it's fascinating the ways that people. But but. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, but, yeah, but I mean, I've been in this ball game for a while, and I I mean. I'm aware of things that have happened, um, generally speaking, but you know, I I just I don't know. I think there's so much made of it, and there's it's such an easy thing to say, even though it's not true. Almost probably, I don't know, eighty percent of the time, we still have to discuss it. But look, let's get back to uh, what's going on in Georgia, okay? Which is that. Georgia is basically a, a detail-oriented operating machine now on the uh, recruiting front, all right? There's, and, there we go. That's what I was looking for. So what, what's happening is that they basically – I talked with someone who um, has been in the recruiting office for some time at Georgia, not, not to report on it, but to just, just kind of for my own sanity – um, well, Kirby, since you released this information, Kirby's probably just now killed everybody in his recruiting in his recruiting <laughs> office. He's starting he's, fresh. Yeah, he certainly shouldn't do that, and the reason why is because they've just the, the people in that office have done a heck of a job of getting them positioned to make such a splash as expect Georgia to be the number one or two team uh, in recruiting rankings coming forward this year too. Um, Essentially, long story short, and without giving away a bunch of details, they just there's a plan for every single kid, and they simply will not give up. I mean, it's that simple. So why, okay, so why is Georgia doing that versus its competitors? Why? why what is their let edge? Me tell you something about a time that I covered a kid very in depth, and I won't discuss who the person was, but in that time of covering that person's recruiting. Uh, I, that, that kid was recruited by a lot of, I mean, he was a national recruit for lack of a better term. And, um, that person was recruited, uh, every single day, but they had been committed to Georgia for a long time. And, but what you started to learn was schools like Alabama, particularly 
they kept little note cards. They kept little details about um, their interactions every time they had one with this prospect. And um, I only found that out after the fact. But um, seems like a pretty easy thing to do. I'm gonna, well, I'm gonna hold. I'm, gonna, I'm really grilling you here because I'm, I'm tired of your I platitudes, think, Leggy. I think I want I, details. So I think it's easy. I don't have a bunch of details. I mean, the, the, I think it is easy to say that it's it's easy to keep you know detailed notes on every single kid. It's another thing to make sure that that person will fit your culture. It's another, th and how do you just how do you determine that? How do you know that a kid makes sense in your culture? Uh, coaches who have losing uh, tenures, they um, they talk about culture a lot and all this stuff. It's not just culture. I mean, it's 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 can you can that person fit into what you're doing? And what I would say is, the more you know while you're recruiting a kid, the better. The other thing, and this is nothing. There's no rocket science here, or even rocket surgery, Fletcher. Um, essentially, one thing that was said was that the most important thing that happened was that uh, Justin Fields picked Georgia, and that when that happened, everything sort of fell in line from that point forward. That a lot of people were waiting to see what was going to happen with Justin, and as soon as Justin pulled the trigger, uh, you saw an onslaught of kids coming Georgia's way. I mean, if you, you know, Zamir was the first high-level guy in the boat. I mean, he's the first guy that you really remember from that point forward. After Justin, if I'm not mistaken, you had Cook, uh, Jamari, Cade Mays, Hill, Cox, Anderson, Walker, Tyndall, Ojolari, Campbell, Reese, and Joseph. Those kids all came after Justin Fields. All right, let's, Justin, drill, let's drill down a little bit. Hold on one second. Was Justin Fields the only reason or the main reason they came to Georgia? No. Not, nece not necessarily – but he was a big reason for several of them, for sure. Well, quarterbacks look forward to quarterbacks yeah. always your front porch in a recruiting class. Uh, I certainly will say that. But uh, you know, when I spent a, some time with Jaron Williams, but, but 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 Bryce Ramsey, Jacob Eason. Um, I mean, obviously Grayson didn't really have the ability to Hudson Mason. They didn't have a major effect on their classes. I don't. Well, think. They weren't the number two overall prospect in the class. Yeah, well, Jason, I'll quickly forget how big a deal Jacob Eason was. Yeah, they, but see, you can't, it's too hard to do this because obviously there was a coaching change. Um, a lot of there were a lot of things going on in that December. But the other thing, the other thing too is that Jacob Eason you know, was, Jacob, a, was a Jacob's, major was a major um, he, perception boost for Kirby right out of the gate. The biggest thing with Jacob to me, of course, by that time in December. Yes, Jacob really mattered, no, no question. But one of the biggest things with Jacob was that um, he, uh, he was too far away to really have a major effect on a lot right. of the kids. But I, I, I will say this, with Justin Fields, I, you know, if you were to talk to Matt DeBerry two years ago or a year and a half ago, I mean, he, he loves Trevor Lawrence. He thinks Trevor Lawrence is an exceptional player. And he said he's gonna, he has the ability to take Jamari with him to Clemson. He has the ability to take uh, Zamir with him to Clemson. He said uh, he'll, this kid could have a big effect on a lot of kids from Georgia. Well, as it turns out, there's two things that happen there. Number one, the emergence of Justin Fields. And number two, Kirby don't want to hear that shit. 
one kid isn't going to affect what happens to an entire class. And okay. Okay. No, that's that's a lot of what happened. I got you to hear. I personally always thought that Trevor Lawrence was the better fit at Georgia, and that Justin Fields would he, make a lot of sense at Clemson or Auburn. I agree let, with let that. me finish this thought before I. I'm going to put it back on you. Let's keep this going. We're going to drive this conversation. I talked to you know Jaron Williams uh, because when he was the one-time Kentucky commitment, they ended up with Rick at Miami. Um, I spoke to him in it was probably October. It was when it was before Georgia had, had secured um, Fields, and he told me that Fields fit best as a football player at Auburn, which I think there's some credence to that, correct? And then, um, but he said that FSU would probably be Georgia's biggest competition. So my question is, how does Georgia overcome maybe a better football fit potentially elsewhere, or maybe a, a, a powerhouse or traditional powerhouse like Florida State? Uh, how does how does Georgia win a battle like that for Fields? Well, I think the biggest thing, and not knowing Justin in any way, I would say the biggest thing was that, um, well, with Florida State, it, I think it was hard to see. Well, they went through I mean, a coaching change. Th things weren't going real right. well down there. They were headed so, for a coaching change. No question. That was a problem. At Auburn, you know, by the time Justin decided it was October, we did not know that Auburn, who had lost to Clemson um, already, and I believe lost soon thereafter. I mean, Auburn was kind of, Gus Malzahn certainly was on the skids uh, until they beat Georgia and Alabama back-to-back. -back. I mean, they had had a decent season, but it wasn't anything unbelievable. And there was a lot of... <laughs> I just think Georgia sold it better, period. And according to his timetable, Georgia had kind of become the an easier choice compared to like you just laid out. Auburn was sketchy early. Florida State was sketchy late. And well, this kid was, made his decision right when Georgia was prime, which they were, well, prime, they were prime from August till January. But at, at that moment, I don't think it hurt that Jacob Eason had gotten hurt and Jake Fromm was not playing unbelievable. I don't think that hurt, and I just don't. And I think that, you know, if you remember September, Jacob had gotten hurt. Jake Fromm is going in there and is is not looking unbelievable. I mean, people forget because of how well he played at the end of the season. I mean, he had nine passes against Tennessee, wasn't it? Something like that it was not a lot. So they just weren't using Jake Fromm. So I think to some degree you're sitting there going – uh, can Justin Fields come in here and, and just start right away if, if you know, if Fromm is the guy, so to speak? And, and so there was just a lot of confusion, and I think they could sell to him, um, yeah, look, bro, you can come in here and, and play pretty quick. I think he still will come in and play quick. But the truth of the matter is that I think he thought Jacob will be there for next year and the year after that. I'll probably eat a red shirt, and then I'll be a three-year starter or a four-year starter and gone. Right. And I mean, like, I mean, look, bro, listen, after the Notre Dame game, Jake, Jake Fromm com completed eight, nine, seven, and seven passes in the next four games. And then against the Gators, he had four. So he didn't really, really burn it up, if you want to call it that, really until probably the Tech game. On. He played pretty well right. from that point forward. And the, hindsight, the hindsight for me in that is that I was wrong about I – ne I never questioned if Jake Fromm was good at the football. 
I just questioned that statistic and was thinking, well, if Georgia does pick it, pick a fight with Auburn or Oklahoma or Alabama down the road, I did I did openly question on this podcast if if Jake would be able to um, be that dynamic passing threat to pull him through. So props well, to him not, for making me look like an idiot, as I commonly do. Well, here's the thing, though, is that, again, at the time, certainly before Georgia went to – I mean, South Carolina was kind of the game where from – after the Missouri, Missouri, South Carolina, so middle October on, uh, he had played, I would say, one really good game, which was against Missouri. I think he played pretty well against Mississippi State. But so is, none it, of, is this not none in- of this – That's my dogs freaking out. Sounds sounds like the Indianapolis 500 back there. If, um, if my no, but is that not, is, is that indicative? Is that indicative though of, of how you can land a player like Justin Fields who may not essentially look like if he looks like an Auburn guy, which I we understand what that means in Gus Malzahn's offense. If you say, hey, you know, we're not passing the ball right now because we have the best collegiate running back duo in the history of the sport. We don't need to pass the ball, but whenever well, you get here, things will. Could change. Two things. Does is 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 Auburn quarter? You know, looks like an Auburn quarterback. Is that code for a black quarterback? Is that what we're supposed to when people say that? No, not for me. Um, it, although, I mean, it, it's. Easy. I mean, the most successful quarterbacks of late at Auburn have been, have black. been black. That's true. Uh, I and, and from Georgia, no less. <laughs> both, yes, they were. Which makes me wonder where Nick Marshall, what he's doing with his days. Uh, same here. But um, I think with Justin, it was as simple as you realize we've got Zamir White, right? You understand the offensive line that we're putting together. Do you see the offensive line out there right now? Do you see that Jake Fromm is struggling? Yeah. Bro, you can come here right now. We need you. We want you, but we need you. And as soon as Fields came in the boat, that gave them what they needed. I mean, they had, but they, but to Kirby and them's credit, what is, it, what is it? What is it that they needed? A front porch or like viability, credibility? What are you talking about when you say needed? A face? Well, well, I think they needed a quarterback. They've got one on scholarship Fi- right okay, now, so it filled a recruiting need. But it, but you're saying that it gave them more than just a need. It gave them a another selling point. Everything is a selling That's point true. for these guys. I mean, it, they, they could sell, uh, you know, they could sell me dog posts. I mean, that they don't they don't take no for an answer unless it's an extremely firm no. Rewinding back, and I didn't realize we'd sort of be exploring Justin Fields' recruitment today. You know, when they realized um, around Christmas ish that just that that Trevor was not going to be their guy. Um, they quickly and abruptly ch- uh, changed. They 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 didn't really bother so much trying to convince Trevor not to go to Clemson. And we can talk about Trevor Lawrence too, because I mean he's a, he's an extremely gifted kid. And I think a lot of people are making the mistake of saying, I don't know how that's going to work at Clemson. He's going to have to run. He can run. He just the big thing for him is he better not get broken in half because there's very few players who can throw it like he can. They're, he is just naturally gifted throwing the football. Um, and I realize that's not necessarily what you want to do at Clemson, but that's the Clemson that we've known. That's not necessarily the Clemson that could be, which is the same thing they sold Justin Fields on with Georgia. 
They're saying, hey, look, don't become a prisoner of the moment. You can be the special quarterback at this institution. And, you know, the, the truth is that Justin Fields had a dynamic summer. They had gotten all over him in the spring, Georgia, Florida State, uh, uh, Auburn, Florida. I mean, there was a time when the Florida folks thought that he was going to go there. I mean, it was in the spring uh, when he decommitted from Penn State. But I think the entire time, once Kirby and them get their clamps on you, it's over. You're not going to wrestle. Who was the last person that has been wrestled away from this staff? Who's the last player that Georgia, uh, that Alabama wrestled away from Georgia? That's a that's a question you have to answer. It's a been a while, okay. <laughs> and and I think that that's the thing that's so important here is focusing on Justin Fields is just coming from one comment from one person in a conversation that was a thirty five minute conversation. Not you know, and I was just trying to better understand the the situation after signing day had concluded. I mean, you have to understand, Fletcher. You and I, and we can talk about this in the future. We can retalk. We can talk about the 2010 signing class. This is your first real assignment with me. We can talk about the kid that picked Central Florida over Georgia. Those days, as the Jump Old Children song goes, are gone. They don't exist anymore. There's no more of these Lonnie Outlaw types. There's that that stuff's it's over. What did Lonnie and, do? What, what did Lonnie do to you? Nothing. He yeah. was completely pleasant. I enjoyed my time in Wilcox. I mean, I have always enjoyed my time well, in Wilcox County. So you're so now you're what you're laying out is a obviously detailed files are being kept on all these people because I I don't know if it's files. That's what they did at Alabama. Well, I was gonna say uh, I do remember a time when the, the database was written on Mark Rick's hand, and and sometimes that led to. Um, I remember that too. He used to take notes on his hand, and then that that there was always some there was always a story or two here and there during a recruiting not each recruiting cycle. But you remember um, Eric Berry got his feelings hurt because uh, on his visit to Georgia, essentially, I believe uh, somebody forgot his name. There was it might have even been Rick. I remember the Carver quarterback who thought he had an offer, tried to commit, and then was informed while on campus he did not have a committable offer. You remember that? Oh, yeah. There was Gabe Wright's mom didn't get a yep. cart to ride yep. around campus in. So those yep. kinds of things were It was very disorganized. It would never be this disorganized. Well, see, I don't think, I don't think it was disorganized necessarily. I'm not saying it wasn't. I'm saying that there are certain things that when you are on a recruiting visit or it could be other things out in the real world, where you don't even realize you need a cart to ride around these campuses until you get there and it's 90 degrees and you've got to go all the way to the Terry College of Business and yeah. then back to Buttsmere and then back to the thing. And the next thing you know, you've got people that have walked miles and are upset and you're going, oh man, we didn't think about that. And now Gabe Wright's going to Auburn. So I don't know if it was disorganized, but it certainly was not visionary. No vision. Uh, Mark and I remember telling Mike Bobo one time. I said, you know, I think y'all are really good recruiters, but you're not elite recruiters. And um, and they and they were not. I think and, they were good face to face in the living room, but yeah, they didn't but, they didn't think about us. They they would have never gotten Tyson Campbell. That just would have never happened. Well, there's a lot of the people apparently that they never did get compared to what's going on now. And it's, I even remember things that parents complained about when they're on their visit was. 
not having tablecloths on the uh, tables where they ate before games on official visits, uh, having to eat with plastic utensils, or having to. And what know, did they? What did they go to? Maybe you can tell the audience. I I don't I can't I don't I don't remember. No 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 the food the food the food. It was described as man food. Can you remember that story? Oh well, yeah, I do remember that story. Yeah, Kirby. So then Kirby switched it up. It went from very poorly catered, and I'm not going to say who was catering it. I will. The University of Georgia. The University was. of Georgia was catering it, and I can <laughs> say, listen, I I don't complain about a free meal, but that certainly was not a meal I was trying to get more of. But then they went to this overly just bodacious when Kirby got there, just massive steaks and roasts and things. Shrimp. That, shrimp. shrimp. Things that offensive line, things that bring offensive linemen and skill guys together, big steaks and shrimp. So it was uh, that was a, that was a very big deal to people because people were actually blown away with the spreads that were coming out after Kirby got there. It sounds kind of superficial, but I after seeing that transition, nothing is superficial because everything matters because people will complain about everything or nothing if you make the you have to be the one in charge of that. If people are complaining about the utensils, it's not on them, it's on you. You have to have vision, man. I mean, you have to show them that you are interested in every single aspect of them being there. I mean, that's that's the most important part of recruiting is um, are the details, I think. I think. Well, yeah, because at the end of the day, Auburn and, and Alabama and Georgia are offering you they're offering you an opportunity to win a national championship. They're offering you an opportunity to come be a high-profile college athlete on a college campus, which comes with many perks. And they're offering you the opportunity to get some of the best coaching in the world to prepare you to go pursue your dreams professionally. So if those things are kind of the same, like if you, if you didn't have a name on the helmet or a, a logo on the helmet, it would be kind of difficult maybe to make a decision at times. It's, it's, they're, they're similar. I mean, it's... We, those of us who have been around and know the kind of ethos of each institution, they are different, but it's hard to sit in the stadium at Alabama and know the difference between Alabama, Georgia, Tennessee, and Florida. I mean, those are flagship schools at each, I mean, at each state. They may have different colors, but honestly, if you were at an Arkansas event or you were at Alabama and they had the same color, it would be tough to tell the difference with, I mean, it, it, it just is. And so for a recruit, you have to explain to them why Georgia is so much better. And, and the truth is, in every instance, whether you're talking about Clemson or Northwestern or Georgia or whatever, it's the people. The people make the institution. That's why Kirby is so critical to, the, um, to what this future will be at Georgia and why, um, you know, in this case, Mark Fox, for instance, and we can transition why Mark Fox is so critical to the future of Georgia or whoever Mark Fox's replacement may be. It seems clear to me, Fletcher, and we've talked about this for a long time. I, I just don't see how Mark Fox can survive, you know, what's left of this season. Georgia's got six games less, left plus a trip. Um, they're in, you know, they're tied for next to last place in the league. If they lose one more and Vanderbilt wins one more, they'll be in last place. Um, would you make a pull? Would you would you make a, a call right now to change this thing? Obviously, Mark will be the head coach at Florida. If they lose that game, does he does he deserve to be fired in the middle of the season? I'm a little no. I'm not sure about that. 
I wouldn't because a we we've I don't think that that's ever a good uh, maneuver. Um, I do think that maybe if there if this continues down the path, it does. Maybe the loss at the SEC tournament, you cut it and then let. Well, you have to then. And then yeah, right. And then you let Jonas coach the CBI game if there is one. I don't think there will be any. Man. I'm that you you got that assumes to- that they have a losing record, right? Because that CBI will take anything, man. I mean, they'll take Coker yeah, well, here college. Well, well, Coker, I mean, you know. Uh, look, Georgia's got – I'm trying to see here how many – I mean, they've got six games left. I, I'm not sure how many of these are going to win. You know, that's that's the problem is there's just not a ton of games that Georgia plays from here on out where you're like, yep, they're definitely going to win. I mean, they, they deal with LSU um, – at the end of the season, but they're playing at Florida and they've got Tennessee twice. And now suddenly a ranked Texas A&M team. So they've got the Gators, Tennessee, A&M and tennis and Tennessee. You know, that's four teams they should lose to, even though they play A&M at home. And are we really saying they're guaranteed to beat Carolina on the road? I'm not going game by game with this bunch. I'm not. They've lost their last three games by 15 points or more. Some of those are at home. I I think that I mean obviously at this point it's been it's well established here the conference and and, and as an aside I don't want to see compare don't make that comparison to Mark Richt and try to oh. try to and try to say oh. the, that the program was advanced to a level like that I guess there's an outside chance that you can make that analogy to say that the program has reached a point. And it can no longer go any further. But you're comparing Mark Fox, a person who has not won a NCAA tournament game at Georgia in nine seasons, to a football coach who was five yards away from a national championship appearance. So right. don't right. don't do that. But Fox was the fourth best team in the SEC for many years when the team was a three bid league, or the when the SEC was a three bid league. Now, and that's all we heard was. Kentucky needs the SEC to be better because Kentucky shouldn't be a three or a four seed in, in the NCAA tournament. They should always be fighting for a one or a two. Uh, Georgia needs the SEC to be better because the fourth best team in the SEC should not be in the NIT. Well, here's what happens when Rick Barnes doesn't turn out to be, uh, you know, old and washed up, when Frank Martin can lead South Carolina to the Final Four, when Bruce Pearl. Uh, I don't know how he's still over there, but when he's over there and Anthony Grant starts recruiting and Bryce Drew, who currently at Vanderbilt, they're not so hot, but they beat Georgia. You start you start talking about the profile of this league is up to seven or eight and nine teams competing to get in this in this tournament. And I think that Mark Fox has clearly defined himself at a certain level. It never was fourth in the SEC. And it's not currently now last in the SEC. But it, there's a clear level where his, his program has been and appears it will be, which is 17 to 21 wins, a couple high spots, a couple low spots, more just plain mediocre spots, and on the outside looking in. That's where this program is and is proven to be. And that, at Georgia, is not good enough. Anymore. I don't. I mean, I don't think it is. I think it's time for a change. They've lost eight of their last ten games. I don't know why Atlanta keeps getting the numbers wrong. I mean, the dumbest just, thing though you can say is, well, Georgia's not a basketball school. Uh, traditionally, they can't do this. 
Yeah, I was that's like, South Carolina went to the Final Four last year. Come on. And 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 and, and South Carolina is going back to being a bunch of losers like they've always been. So but you know they're, why they're, they went to the Final Four? Well, they had two top thirty players. There you go. PJ Dozier, wonderful McDonald's All American. Sandarius Thornwell was a top thirty guy. Probably should have been a McDonald's All American. He was a senior. Um, it's not too hard to figure that one out. I mean, they were they were they were a good team, and and Yante Maton is the equivalent of top thirty recruit. He, they have developed him beyond belief. He's done it. They have done a hell of a job with with him. But what a shame, too! It, I, it bothers it's me. It's not a shame. It's it's what it is. It's it, what it is. No, no, it bothers me when a talent of Yante Maton's caliber, nobody even knows who he is, because he's not gotten the opportunity to play on the stage that he deserves. He individually. And maybe some of his teammates, but Yante Maton certainly deserves to be on the NCAA tournament stage for people to watch him play. Well, and it's a it's a shame that that he was a, what was he a freshman when they went and lost in the yeah, first round? Fourteen. Yeah. No, peak Yante Maton should not be in the CBI discussion. You think they're going to take the CBI? And they probably wouldn't in the scenario I laid out because they fired their coach and everybody just want to go to the house. Right, do you see a scenario where where they maintain Mark Fox? I mean, if see, this is where I get on this. They win. They win. They win six in a row and are nineteen and eleven heading. Yeah, into but then you're still even if they do that, they're still at nineteen wins and got. I don't. Work. I don't. I, you know I don't what? They got work to do in the SEC tournament is kind of like this dude's Twitter bio. All right, so. <laughs> Even if they get to that point, it doesn't change the macro feel for me. I still feel like he's a guy that will always be on the backside of the bubble. I don't see any scenario where he remains anymore. No, I don't. I don't either. I mean, and I and I, you know, I've written, I wrote two years ago. I think it was maybe three that it was probably time for a change. And and I, and I don't mean that like I want the guy to get people over celebrate these coaches getting fired. I mean, you know, that kid's got that guy's got kids and shit. I mean, it's it's like, why do you care? That I mean, why are you celebrating someone being fired? I, I don't understand the vitriol towards Mark Fox. I, well, yeah, well, there's it, no, it's no like this isn't fun, uh, but it's just right. like anywhere else. If if someone is tasked. With teaching third graders, if someone is tasked with picking up the recycling, if they aren't performing their their duty, it, it, then they don't deserve to continue in the role. That's really it. You've you know, never right? you've never been let go before, have you? You have not. I had a fire before. I've certainly had a paper trail created to where I, if I know if I didn't if I didn't stop what I was doing or start doing something else, right? You tried to fire me once, you asshole. Very, you know, no, you didn't try to close. fire me. You couldn't fire me. Cause I, I no, mean, I could have. I could have. No, I was too talented. I, you needed I this. took pity on, on your situation, which was that you were dumb. You, and do, young you docked and, me a bonus. And redheaded. Oh, you deserved it completely, as we both have discussed many times. I mean, that was a disaster. But but I, I have been let go before uh, in, in a job that was not in this industry. And it's not like people – I mean, I don't understand why – Look, I don't, Mark Fox has done nothing to embarrass the institution. The kids have basically graduated on time. They just haven't been quite good enough. I mean, Andy Kennedy is going to get let go. If they don't fire him, I, I don't know what to say. And, and truthfully, Frank Martin would be on a serious path to, to destruction right now. 
had they not gone to the Final Four last year. I mean, I'm looking at Carolina's 13 and 12. They weren't even competitive. I watched them play the Gators. They were not even competitive with the Gators, bro. They yeah, but I think if you look at P.J. Dozier, you know, he should have come back. Yeah, I, I, I know, but this this league has become competitive. There's no dominant team. I would say that Auburn is the you know as close to dominant as it gets. And when Kentucky is your seven, you know, it's been one of those years in the league. But this is the future now. Just like Justin Fields' type of quarterbacking is the future of quarterbacking, I think, this league that we're seeing in the SEC with, you know, top 100 players actually going to schools besides Georgia, whether you're talking about Missouri, Alabama, or Auburn, that's what this league is going to be. The league decided five or six years ago, whenever it was, they, I don't know what I would give. I'm curious to know what was said behind the scenes then. But everybody said then. A lot of people said this league just got very serious. There's multiple coaches here now that have played in, that have coached in Final Fours, and that's when people knew that Mark Fox was in trouble. That he could not pull in the kids necessary to get the job done, and that it's happening too late is really, you know, it's an indictment of his lack of vision. He should have hired and put Jonas on earlier than he did. He didn't, uh, you know. Didn't make, not, now, yeah, we we don't have to revisit that because obviously you, you hire somebody from the West Coast with no recruiting ties, right, and their, their first staff is built with predominantly coaches with no real recruiting ties in Georgia, uh, but was, I think, geared for development. I think he took a mid-major approach. At, yeah. at a at a high, at a potentially high level uh, program, so he set himself back. I mean, hiring Jonas Hayes obviously the best thing he did. Right. It's it got him Yante Maiden. It got him the Hammonds yeah. kid. Got him this five star kid in the next yeah. class. But yeah. uh, that's why, I mean, I, that is the curious sort of inside baseball here is who would be the person to take over if Fox left. I'm not certain for sure that it would be Jonas. I mean, if you were if you were to go by the staff's, you know, the 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 org chart, it really would be Philip Pearson, and he's done that before too. By the way, he's been the interim guy at Alabama, but yes, that's correct. But if I were if I were Greg, and I'm sure Greg listens so intently to these podcasts, while well, he's uh, eating his uh, chicken salad sandwiches, <laughs> drinking uh, his if, tea. If, if I were Greg and I had this dilemma in front of me. First of all, personally, I would not let Mark Fox go during the middle of the season unless it crashes more, and I can discuss that in the future, okay? But if I did let Mark go during the middle of the season, because if I think it was too far gone, I would want to see what the potential head coach of a future at Georgia, Jonas says, I would want to see what he's really about. And I would want to know that, um, you know, maybe you've got something there in the future, because there's no telling what the next head coach, whoever that person will be, um, what they'll be like, but for a, a guy as young as as Hayes is, and as as person, I can't seem to find anybody that dislikes him. I'd want to know: can this guy actually do the job on the court? Um, because he's not ready to be the head coach no. of George Second. No, he wouldn't. But, but he will be someday. He certainly and is a is a head coaching prospect in the making. I, I don't think there's any question that he will be a head coach in the next five years somewhere, if not quicker than that. Certainly, I, I don't think you can say that about Pearson. And by the way, I, this isn't me killing. I mean, Pearson's not. I mean, he's hardly a failure. I mean, you know, this guy's been a division, high-level Division One 
uh, assistant basketball coach for a very long time. That's why I'm saying I don't I don't know Mark Fox. I just I never got to know well, him. That's an indictment that, of him. Well, I'm not. That's not what I mean by that. I'm just I don't really know him. I, I know that. He, I don't know, think a lot of people do. I think that was part of the problem. So I don't really have an axe to grind either way. Obviously, the name of the publication that I own is Dog Post. I would like to see Georgia do well, but I, I'm not. You know, I don't. I don't know him in any real way, so I don't really have a an axe to grind. I think there was a time when it looked good, and now it just doesn't. I was. I think I got to where I'm at currently a lot quicker than other people did. I don't know if that's because of the background that I've got. It's because well, you're not beholden. I don't to, care. Yeah. You're not beholden to the media availability session each week. Let's just right, call it what right. it is. That's, Let's just call true. it what it is. That's true too. I don't really. But, uh, but it is, but, a, and to be fair, it is not easy as I now have to deal with up here <laughs> in Kentucky. It's not easy to to to. It would be difficult to, to write some of the things you've written about Mark Fox and have to go in there on Tuesday and ask him how Jawan Parker's three point shooting helps there's the, no the offense. There, there's there's no question that you get some sideways looks sometimes when you've written something about somebody. But the older I get, the less that I get concerned about. I don't want to write anything bad. <laughs> I would prefer to write about unicorns and rainbows. But that's just not what this is. And I think that um, I don't really know Kirby either. I mean, I know him to some degree, and that's it. Uh, it's not like uh, it's not like uh, I go out and party with him, or that when we were in college at the same amount of time that we went out and partied or anything like that. That's not so for me. I think I can say with him, hey, he's doing an exceptional job on the field. He's doing outstanding off the field. He's doing outstanding. But I, at the same time, I don't agree with this particular thing that he decided to do. Um, I don't have a problem with it. With Mark, I know Kirby better than know Mark Fox. Yeah, and I don't know, I don't know crazy, anything about Mark Fox. Man. Now, I'll say this about Mark Rick, who I do have affection for, for sure. Mark Fox, or excuse me, Mark Rick for, managed to not know my name for about seven years. It's not just that. It's not. I mean, it's not just that he didn't know. It's not just that he didn't know your name. He thought your name was right. da was Dan. That's right, Dan Leg. And then my mother was. We were all eating uh, breakfast one morning, not as a group, but we were at Zim's in Athens, and I was taking my mother out to eat breakfast, which. Ugh. <laughs> I do not suggest. But Mark was there with. I don't know what he was doing there. But he came over and said, hey, and, and Carter Strickland and Josh Kendall had been teasing me. You know, because that's how long it had been. Um, uh, this was the this was going into 08, maybe. So it had been a good four years that, that Carter and, and Josh had been around. And Mark said uh, that my mother had heard this from those two. And she said, uh, she said something to him. And, and Mark's always pleasant, man. He just always was. And um, he said... Uh, my, my, my mother says too, she goes, uh, but from what I understand, you don't know my son's name. And she said, his name's Dean, which gave Mark the biggest out ever because right. he didn't have to say what it was. He said, I, I know Dean. No, he goes, I, I know Dean forever. <laughs> but I can he imagine did. what he said. Oh, he I did, know he, Dean. Yeah, he did, he did know me, but he did not know my name. And that was, that was who Mark was and is. Now, I will say this too. You know, I, 
I think, I mean, Mark, I've talked with Mark about things privately that I'm not going to discuss on here that have to do with, that have nothing to do with football. And that, um, you know, I, I have never had a conversation like that. Necessarily. I have had a conversation like that a little bit with Kirby. But the, the point is, I do think that you have to be human beings if for no other reason than we're around one another. And a lot of, I know a lot of people take me the wrong take me the wrong way. I get that. You are a little dickish. You're standoffish. Well, I don't really need to have a conversation with everybody. Well, you got it. Once you get through your tough shell, there is a f- very rich layer of nougat there. But you it's got, you got to get through that shell. You're going with nougat. I, I think for me and my life and everything I have going on in my life, I can't be everybody's best friend, and I understand that. And, that, and that's why I do appreciate and understand the situation that Fox, Kirby, Mark, Gene Stallings, you know, uh, whoever. It is. Everybody can't be gregarious. Everybody can't be like Bruce Pearl. But it, it, is, good to, it, it is good to be that way. It is good to have a lot of people on your side. And, and I, the, the, the coaches that I played for, the basketball coaches that I played for, they were outgoing. And Coach Schmotzer would make fun of himself. And Coach Schmotzer was a legend. And, 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 Who's that? And Coach Schmotzer was my college basketball coach. There you go. See, people on the podcast, they that, don't know that stuff. Sorry. Dan Schmotzer, whose twin brother was an extremely successful baseball coach, went to College World Series twice uh, during his career at Coker. And then my other coach is uh, was uh, Jack Waters. It is Jack Waters? He played at Ole Miss, right? He was a all he was a all SEC a guy. Got drafted by the Kansas City Royals. Uh, who? Excuse me, Cincinnati. Uh, wait, no, wait. He got replaced by Oscar Oscar Robertson. Well, that's a when that's they, a that's a great when story. They, when they when they drafted Oscar Robertson, coach knew it was over. But yeah. I'll tell you what, there's very few people. Uh, who could shoot a jump hook three like Jack Waters? Well, he would think it would. It was amazing. It was amazing. I got some stories about Jack. Well, we got to do the Jack Waters podcast, and I got to do the coach's version of. of I mean, I, my coach in tennis was a Vietnam vet. He was a ranger. He taught us how to break someone's hand at the net if we wanted to. How to break <laughs> break break their arm. I'm sorry. Uh, if they were giving us trouble after the match, after doubles or something like that, Coach Wall, Coach uh, Schmotzer was a certified crazy person, um, and uh, Jack Waters was one of the most influential people in my life. I mean, you can't talk about those three guys and it not be. I mean, they were massively influential. Uh, Coach Josie at Coker, Coach Schmotzer at Coker, and then Coach Waters at um, at Tucker. Um, and, you know, they they mattered to me. And these guys. That's the other thing too. And then we'll get off the podcast. Is it is really important to remember that you know Mark Fox probably will not be the head coach at Georgia next year, but he he did matter to a lot of kids who should matter to fans, and that's why I think it's care. You got to be careful about you know vilifying someone who really doesn't need to be vilified. He's never really done anything that I can remember that was dumb. His kids have. I cannot remember a time where Georgia has been embarrassed by a basketball player lately. I mean, I can't. He's done a He's fine done. job. But he, it's time. Right. I mean, but whenever you're a season ticket holder that might live in Atlanta and you make those drives on Tuesday, you're not driving 
uh, for a fine show, uh, you're, no, you're driving not. for an optimal performance. So, you do, and and the fans deserve better than they've gotten. But all I'm saying is, as as Mark Fox leaves, and I don't, and I and I don't know Mark Fox again. So this is like the thirteenth time. I don't know him. You're that. You know what you're doing right now. You're that guy on the message board, who, despite all the evidence about a about a recruit maybe not being as good or worthy of an offer, you're that guy that goes trust the coaches. You're no, that guy I'm right not. Now. I'm not. I'm you're saying that right not, now. I'm not saying that at all. I'm uh, saying it's I'm time just, for I'm just I'm, messing with you. I've been saying it's time for a change for two years. What I'm saying is maybe this is very Bill Buckley of me. I don't know if you know who that is. I know who William Buckley is. All right. I don't know why. Well, I don't know why. Just, he's, just relax. That's a strange appearance on the podcast. Well, no. I mean, Bill Buckley was basically saying, I don't know if you're a conservative why you have to scream like a crazy person. Why can't we just talk like normal people? And what I would say is, uh, why can't we say what good things he's done and and that's it and and they're like and, and say what what why the decision is being made and that's it. it i don't think that mark fox has to be driven into the ground like he's a vampire that's all i'm good with it man i can't believe you you didn't ask me anything about me i mean you didn't ask about kentucky you know you know no we're gonna get to that later right. we're gonna get to that soon i've got i've got spaghetti and meatballs cooking right now all right. Well, I'm glad you got to talk to me again. I've got my mother-in-law living with us currently, Fletcher. I'm sorry, dude. I got, no, I got, got, I got nothing for you on that. I got, got that. that that's, bro- that's, that's, that's happening to me uh, this weekend. Got, got, so, Got the broken pelvis, boy. I think I just committed some HIPAA violations, but that's okay. <laughs> Join us next week on the roundtable. You, uh, you hear the exit music. Of course, Fletcher doesn't want to talk about it. That's all right. Thanks for listening to the podcast, Fletcher. Later.